My name is Jeff Harbach. I'm the CEO of Coffin Fellows and the host of the Coffin Fellows podcast. This season, our podcast is produced in partnership with Mighty Capital and features different Coffin Fellows as co-hosts. In this podcast, we dive deep into the personal narratives of some of the most successful names in the venture capital industry, but we're not here just to explore their highlight reels, however impressive they are. From failures and formative learning experiences to inflection points and aha moments, we discuss the real, authentic journeys that each individual goes through to become the best version of themselves in order to best serve the entrepreneurs they invest in. Covering various themes in venture capital investing, we speak with the world's top leaders in capital formation, all from a place of authenticity and vulnerability. Together, we'll unravel what truly makes a great venture capital investor. Now let's meet today's host and their guest. Hi, my name is Maddie Callender, VP at Boost VC, the 500K accelerator for sci-fi tech. And I'm thrilled to host this series, Women Leading Deep Tech Investments, featuring the stories, motivations, and industry insights of venture capitalists who are taking big risks on the next generation of deep tech founders. Now, let me introduce my guest today. Hi, I want to give a warm welcome to Abby Hunter Side partner at LDV Capital. Well, welcome, Abby. I'm so excited to have you here today. Why don't you go ahead and give an introduction and a little bit about your background? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I feel totally honored to to be here. And I remember when we first met, right, and you guys are investing in sci-fi startups and us in visual tech. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. We've got so many like um, uh, synergies that we get to explore. And so I'm really happy to be here and to talk a little bit more about my background and in, in deep tech in general. For all of those who don't know me, I'm Abby. Um, I'm a partner at LDV Capital. We invest in people who are building businesses powered by visual tech. So we thrive on collaborating with the deep technical teams that leverage computer vision, machine learning, and artificial intelligence in order to analyze visual data. You know, I can talk to you a little bit about, about that and the thesis. I know you've got that on here, but in general, like my background, I don't actually come from a deep tech background at all. It's kind of a new thing for me in the past four years. I came from first a startup background um, and then a consulting background. And then I spent a little bit of time on the private equity side of things at Morgan Stanley before I realized I wanted to get back to my roots and apply some of the best practices I'd learned with companies like BCG and Morgan Stanley to the startups that that I had started out my career working with. And so I found somehow the venture capital as being a perfect intersection between the two worlds, that I get to apply all of the things that I know about operating to work for early stage companies to help them succeed. Oh, I love that. And what what keeps you excited about startups and investing? Well, I mean, we get to invest in companies that are looking to improve the way that the world works. What's better than that, right? Working... <laughs> With companies that have like this deep domain expertise and technical knowledge and are and are creating some amazing things. I and that's what keeps me the most motivated in everything that we do. Okay, so let's dig into LDV Capital's thesis. Can you break it down for me and then maybe define deep tech in, in your world? Yeah. So as I said, we we only invest in visual tech in the the premise behind it is that the vast majority of data that our brains analyze is visual, right? So in order for AI to truly succeed, it's got to be able to analyze visual data as well. And so at LDV, we invest anywhere where there's visual data that's being analyzed, organized, displayed, distributed. And so we think of that visual data as being anything from, you know, photos and videos 
due to x-rays, MRIs, LIDAR, radar, you know, CGI, VFX stuff that's happening right now. Uh, We really look across all different industries and sectors up and down the full tech stack wherever there's visual data. And so that for us, you know, is, is usually deep tech. And so if I had to define what deep tech means to us, it's in general, it is people who are looking really detailed view of visual data and they are figuring out ways in which computers can analyze it for us. Um, And so that's how we look at deep tech for visual tech. When you are looking at startup founders in the space, what are Mm -hmm. you looking for in a visual tech startup founder? Yeah, well, I think that for us, I mean, we're looking for many different things. We're looking for entrepreneurial DNA, and that doesn't necessarily mean to have uh, a serial entrepreneur background at all. That means that you're the kind of kid who wanted to start up a lemonade stand, or you're the one who had a lawn mowing business and a snow shoveling business. You're just somebody who who is always looking to, to hustle. And generally, I kind of hate to use the word hustle on these things, but it is just this DNA or this desire to start something up outside of the box and think in that way. On top of that, right, the vast majority of our companies have at least one PhD on their founding team. Um, And so I think that that kind of background where they have deep domain expertise in some technological innovation or they're thinking about visual tech in, in a way that others haven't before have you know, papers out there and they've gone to CVPR and they've gotten lots of acclaim for the breakthroughs that they've got for a leapfrog solution in the tech space. These are all types of qualities that we're looking for in the founders that we back. I love that. When you are looking at investments, how do you build your own thesis and what sectors are you spending the most time in? I mean, I think that I kind of come from a background of doing hypothesis testing, right? Where in general, I'll probably just read about something, something cool that sparks my interest. And I'm like, that's really neat. Let me, let me look a little bit further into this. Let me see. Is there really, is this something that's going to have tremendous business opportunity associated with it? Right. Because that's one of the things that, that, Sometimes we get posed with, I don't know if you get this as a, as a deep tech investor, but this idea, like, is it a science project or is it an actual business? Yes. Right. And so I think that that's kind of like the first lens that I try to always take to things is in developing my theses is like, all right, is there something happening here that's going to have real commercial application? And then what could those commercial applications for it be? Right. And so if, you know, like, let me give you an example but something fun that I've been looking at a lot recently. So we're thinking about the content creation space as a lot of people are, right? And one of those things that we're looking for is, is, well, so what are some of the utilities there? How How are these new things being used? And if I look at us and how we are expanding our existence from being physical humans to like having so much of our lives be digital online, right? that we should we need to start to think about the ways in which we are going to consume for our digital selves in the same way that we consume for our our, our physical selves because this is all us right and we're looking for ways to display our uniqueness so i think something like the rise of nfts is a perfect example 
But one of the things that I'm particularly interested in, or I think is exciting, is the digital clothing space, right? Yes. I love like what the fabricant is doing and, and different things like this. And so I start to look at, well, there's a lot of research papers out there now, or some, I should say, not a lot, but there's some that are exploring really unique ways in which we can do virtual try-on. Okay. But I want to take it the next step. Like, I don't think that it's about trying at all. I think it's about actually digitally wearing it, right? Like what if every day when you show up on, on Zoom, you sit down in front of your computer wearing your black t-shirt and you go to your digital closet and you select what you want to wear for each of your meetings, right? And you can put something else on and you can buy shirts for that space. It's so much more sustainable for the environment, right? It's more accessible for independent designers to start to like showcase and design their goods. Like these are all the things that like, I think are really interesting um, and that I'm, I'm spending time on at the moment. That's a really fun example. Thank you for sharing that. Transitioning a little bit onto the funding side of deep tech. When we think about deep tech, there's sort of a funding puzzle that we face with government industry and academia. And I was just curious what your perspective is on uh, how we solve that that funding puzzle for deep tech startups. Yeah, I mean, I I think that you know, there's been a lot of research going on about how you know most of these deep tech things are have a lot of government backing before we ever they ever see the light of day from a commercial side of things, right? If you think about autonomous vehicles, for example. Right. It's received tons of money from VCs and from PE and SoftBank and everyone up the chain, right? But the original funding for it was all from DARPA grants and and governments all across the world making substantial um, investments. But I think about agriculture is another big one, right? Like there's so much funding in the agricultural space that's coming from governments in order to start the initial stages of research, right? And once those research papers exist, once there's a little bit of foundation behind them, then you start to see the space where like VCs get involved because you know, as you said, or as we talked about a little bit before, you know, there has to be a commercial application for this. But from a government side of things, there doesn't necessarily have to be a commercial application for them to want to fund it and have it be a valuable research project for them. And so I think that there's there's definitely pieces where all of this fits together. Universities, I think, are another big piece of that puzzle. I don't know, like, do you guys see a lot of stuff coming out of universities? Is that where you where you look for a deal sometimes? Yeah, we do. We definitely see a lot coming out of universities and out a lot of these government programs as well. Um, more accelerators are getting started and more innovation, innovation arms of different departments are getting started or have been have have been around for a while. But it's exciting to see everyone kind of starting to collaborate a little bit more um, sure. and the funding mechanism broadening outside of just government. And um, we also see it as an opportunity, as I think you we've talked about as well. Yeah, I think that there's huge opportunity there. And I think that we are starting to see a lot more um, readiness on the part of government and on the part of universities to ensure that the, the research that they are supporting is also then supportable by, by private money too, right? They're, they're definitely 
it seems to me over the past four years that I've been working in this, that there's been a lot of movement made on the contractual side of things, like the totally not fun stuff, yes. um, but that enables the, the proprietary nature of the research that's happening within these labs to then become a commercially viable investment because of some of like the clauses that are in the contracts. And so watching the way that these like entrepreneurship programs have really started up at universities that enable the founders to bridge both worlds has been a critical, critical thing for us that's enabled us to make a lot more investments than we, we had been before um, directly out of universities. That's 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 very exciting. Yeah, uh, I want to shift our conversation a little bit over to the diversity and deep tech side of things. You've been in the ecosystem for the last four years. What have you seen change, and what would you like to see change in the industry in the next in the next few years? Yeah, I mean, I think that the biggest thing that's changed is there's a ton of conversation around it now, right? Like, and that is is the the beginning part of it like this is like you know having these conversations is a catalyst for change right like one of my lines that anybody who talks to me about this knows is that the only way that we fight unconscious bias is by conscious decision making right and conscious conversation um and so even just bringing it up and having the conversation is part of it but i think that the other side is something that we really that we the way that we really think about it at ldv is you know, you wouldn't see a panel that's called like men in venture investing, right? Like, and so why is that the the title of all the conversations that include women and underrepresented genders and underrepresented venture capitalists and, and founders, right? Why is it always premised by this? I think that it should be less about calling it out now and more about inclusion within, and so, for instance, at our LDB Vision Summit that we hold on an annual basis, it's always half men, half women on stage. It's half people of color and half white, at least, right? Like, we, we try to even do better than that, and we, ha- we do do better than that most years. What it does is it enables us to have perspective um, on stage and in front of others, and it enables all of our founders and all of the founders that we talk to that to know that it's important to us to ensure that there is enough perspective around the table because it enables us to have better companies, right? It enables us to have better institutions, better firms, better returns for our investors, right? To have more diversified portfolio, more diversified founders, more diversified speakers, right? And I think that that's a critical component to all of this and especially in deep tech. And you're putting the money to work putting the money to work for it. Exactly. It's one of the conversations that I've had with, with a lot of people in the deep tech space, um, particularly women, right? Is that if we want to be able to avoid uh, a lot of the systematic inequalities that we have today, that the AI that we are writing that's going to govern our future needs to be better than that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so if we continue to have the same makeup of you know, predominantly white men writing the code, then I don't know how we can expect the systems of tomorrow to outperform what we have today. And so having inclusion at every aspect of the the development side of the companies that we work with and the algorithms behind them, I think is is paramount. Yes. 
to ensuring that our future is a better version of today. With that in mind, do you have any ideas on how we can increase the number of women and underrepresented founders in deep tech? Yeah, I mean, I think that so much of it goes back to education, right? And and students as a whole, encouraging and talking to them about what it means to be a founder and taking that leap. So I think that one of the things that we try to do is ensure that we're going to enough universities and that we're talking to enough students um, to get them to be willing to join startups, right? Um, I think that there's a lot of stuff that is happening today to encourage more women and people of color in STEM education. Um, and now it's getting them to take the leap to know that they are, you know, they can start their own companies out of their research too. They can run their own companies, they can join startups and that it's, it's a good space to be in. And so I think that that's a big part of it. And then it's just about continuing those conversations as we go on creating inclusive communities like you know, we run our LDB community dinners in New York, which are, it's been half men, half women since the get-go. And those have been going since 2011, so 10 years almost, because it's just important to ensure that everybody around the table at every step of the way understands that like, this is a, this is a safe space where inclusion is promoted. And I think that that's absolutely, that absolutely needs to be the case for deep tech at every step of the way. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all of those insights. It's exciting. I don't know. Do you, have, what's some of like the best things that you've seen in terms of how we continue to promote diversity in deep tech? I'm recording this podcast, women, <laughs> women, women leading deep tech investments. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I was, I debated with myself for a long time over whether or not that was the right title for it, or if I just you know, was, you know, leaders in the deep tech space. And it was just happened to be all women that I was interviewing. So I, I'm, I'm constantly sort of challenged by that to think about how, how do I, how do I make sure that I'm, I, I'm hoping to set you all up as role models for both women in venture and uh, future, you know, future founders um, mm-hmm. that are excited about the space to see that there's representation at the investment side for them to be ready to come to you with their deal flow, you know, with their companies and excited yeah. to, to bring you companies that, that they're building. So I'm, I'm always, I'm always thinking about this, but I, I think one of the things that you said that stood out was just that 50, 50 push constantly. I think that's, I think that's one of the underlooked, maybe not underlooked, but underutilized tools. Uh, mm-hmm. It just takes so much work up front but the results speak for themselves. And I, I know how hard you've worked on the LDV summit to, to make that happen. Yeah. But I think it's, I think it's really important. Uh, is setting the thresholds for yourself, I think is, is an important um, side of it too, right? Like, you know, with, I, I had the same kind of conversations with a lot of women as I was starting up the women leading visual tech video series and community that, that we've got there. But at the end of the day, one of the things around it is having community, right? And having a community that looks like you and that deals with the things that you do, I think is really important. And I think one of the best things that I've seen rise up over the past year or so is when I am talking to deep technical female founders, one of the best questions that I keep getting asked is, so what are you doing to continue to promote diversity within your portfolio and everything that you do? And the sheer fact that they're thinking about how important it is to make sure that as founders, their funders 
are also doing the things that are important to them, um, I think is a huge indicator of where the industry is going, right? Um, and that if you continue to ignore this, that you're going to lose out on some of the best deals, on some of the best founders, because it's important. It's as important to them as it is to us. And that makes a big difference, right? Yes. Giving female founders the chance to be selective about who they're getting, taking investment from and, and filtering for, for the best and represent, most representative portfolios, too, I think is an important piece of it. Or people that they want to work with, I guess. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I'm going to uh, shift us over into what makes a great venture capitalist. So the whole premise of this Kaufman podcast is to dig into what makes a great VC. And I want to touch on, you know, more specifically what makes a great deep tech VC. So the first question is, what do you think makes a great investor? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so funny. I was reading this question over from you and I was thinking about it all night long and I was like, you know, what is it? What is it that really defines some of the best investors that I know in the deep tech space. And what has been the most critical for me over the past four years to be successful in my role? And I think that it's connections, okay? Not just network, I think, but I think your ability to make connections, to connect dots, whether those dots are ideas and to connect them into themes, or if those dots are, you know, potential customers and companies, right? Connecting the two of them. If it is your companies and advisors, right? If that is, you know, just people in general, right? Being able to connect between them and connect ideas together is just such a critical component of everything that we do. And especially in deep tech, where the dots at the beginning might just be research, and connecting that research into commercial viable business opportunity is absolutely critical. And so I think that, that that's my answer is that connections and ability to connect. I love that. Thank you. What advice would you give to our audience of VCs and investors looking or considering investing in the deep tech space? Have patience. <laughs> you know, um, there's there's a lot of opportunities out there that are you know really surface level SaaS type plays and everything like that 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 happen fast you know and so many of of the things that you see today getting a lot of money are the fast investments but deep tech takes time it, it takes a lot of time um, especially when you're investing in the early stage like we are um, and so having patience is critical and having investors who understand the timeline for returns and that when you're making big leapfrog jumps in the way in which business and society operates it's going to take time and so that would be my number one piece of advice you mentioned curiosity as a part of your investment thesis earlier and you mentioned connections as what it takes to be a great investor. How do you stay curious? What sort of books or podcasts um, inspire you? And then I'm going to ask you for a sci-fi recommendation as well, just because we love sci-fi. So, Of course. What doesn't inspire me, right? I just love learning new things all the time. And so I think I probably get 
a hundred different newsletters a day that all get like filed into my newsletter category. And so I, I read, I skim all the time. I listen to podcasts constantly. I mean, I think that some of the big ones are, are, you know, the ones that everybody knows, like MIT technology review, right? Like Karen Howe is amazing and I will read everything that she writes religiously. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of like Taylor Lawrence at New York Times. I think she's got some fantastic stuff out there. I love Ryan at, at Morning Brew and the stuff that he like focuses on and writes about. And so I think there's just a tremendous amount of, of reporters out there who do like deep investigative studies that are uncovering some amazing things. Um, but I also, I, I love GitHub, right? Like I'm a huge GitHub peruser. Um, and so I, I find a lot of stuff on there and product hunt too, right? I see the cool stuff that's happening on the product side of things. And then there's there's been a bunch of other cool newsletters that have come out recently. There's one called Alpha that is, I don't know if you've checked this one out, but they have um, an algorithm for sorting through the best papers that have come out over the past week. And you can select it based on, you know, your own personal filters. And I love that one. They've got some, some great uh, analysis going on of like archive papers that are coming out. That I like a lot. And so I, I just, just keep reading and there's always something new. There's always something curious to, to check out. In terms of sci-fi recommendations. I mean, over the over the weekend, I just watched Ready Player One again, and I Ooh. think I've read that book like a thousand <laughs> times, just because I'm really interested in metaverse right now and what aspects of the Oasis are coming alive. Um, and so that's probably a very uh, a very popular one for you guys, but it's popular yes. for a reason. <laughs> okay, so we could have like a whole other podcast episode just on <laughs> Ready Player One in the metaverse. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I mean it's. It is hot, like nobody's business at the moment, but it's- And Ready Player Two's out too. I just started it. I haven't finished it yet, but the book is out. I didn't know that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, my Kindle list is growing longer every day. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. I have two more questions for you and then we'll wrap up. What are you excited to learn about next? Or is there something you're really excited about right now that you're learning? I mean, you've mentioned it a little bit in the NFT metaphor space, but is there something you want to dig into that you're- excited about? Yeah, I mean, I think that the tools for for automating content creation are, are things that I'm incredibly interested in at the moment, right? Like, there's so much happening in the mocap space. I know you and I have talked about it in the past, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the ways in which the 3D content creation, not just for XR, AR stuff, but just you know, in general, for for everything that we watch online, I think is really exciting. There's so much happening there on so many different sides of it. And a totally unrelated to, to the metaverse side of things, I'm really interested in computational protein design and the direction that's, that that's going. I love everything to do with with sports, right? Like I'm, I'm a big runner. I was a college athlete. And so I love sports analytics and the way in which it's being totally revolutionized with computer vision and, mm-hmm. and anything to do like in sports and esports. Uh, I'm super keen on the moment, but, but honestly, you know, we also, we also did a lot of work on, on agriculture last year for our LDB insights report and ag and feeding the population I think is going to be 
incredibly exciting, right? The future of food, which is kind of related to protein design in a lot of ways. These are all things that I'm, I'm very, very interested in at the moment. Thank you for sharing. What fuels you to keep investing and learning and being curious and doing all the great work that you do? What keeps you motivated and excited and, and fuels you? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's kind of what I said before, which is investing in companies that are looking to improve the way that the world works, right? Like everything that we do is about having a better future or a redesigned future. And what's better than that, right? What's better than than trying to make the world a better place in everything that we do? And I know that sounds like so corny, but but a reimagined future is is the number one thing for me. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me today and for sharing all of the insights and wisdom and all those newsletter recommendations and podcasts to listen to. So um, thank you. Maddie, thank you so much for having me on. It's it's an absolute pleasure uh, to chat on here. And, you know, if there's if there's anybody who wants to follow up after the podcast with any questions about stuff that we talked about or joining, you know, our Women Leading Visual Tech community or anything else, really, um, would love to chat with them. And so feel free to, to share any information, any of our contact information out there because I'm happy to connect. Yes. Thank you, Abby. All right. Thanks, Maddie. That's a wrap. Tune in next week for another candid conversation on what makes a great VC investor with your host, the Kaufman Fellows. 